All right. I love that profound communion. I am excited for that. Amen. All right. I'm also, yeah, excited too for the word this morning. I, um, I know God wants to do something in our midst, and so I'm really, really excited. Am I coming through clear on this? Yeah, that's all good. Okay. To me, I sound like I have a list, which I don't actually have, so it's kind of distracting me. Anyway, um, we are in a series called Unleashed. We mentioned, actually, no, that was um, during prayer meeting that we mentioned it. But the word for this year that we have been praying into that Pastor Nate and I felt um, towards the end of last year, really, or maybe mid to late last year, was this word unleashed. And there isn't often um, the case where we sense God giving us a very strong theme for the following year, but this is a different case. We sense this word unleashed, and that means unleashed in our faith. That means unleashed in the things of God. That means unleashed in bringing kingdom come and God's will to be done. And so we are so excited for what God has in store for this year. Pastor Nate, if you weren't here last week, week, make sure you jump on the podcast because Pastor Nate started the series last week and he talked about how in order to have an unleashed uh, life, because I don't want this limited to this year, people, I want it to be something that happens and sets a trajectory for the rest of my life, right, and the rest of the life of this church in our community. But he talked about through the story of Samson and Samuel and just kind of compared those two people, he talked about how there were things that in order for us to be unleashed in, we need to actually be leashed to. And he talked about these disciplines in our lives that actually really help us to anchor into God so that we can live an unleashed life. And so today I want to kind of follow suit in that I want to take the story or the life of somebody also in the Old Testament. His name is Jacob. Um, So if you've read through the Old Testament, if you've read through the first book of the Old Testament, Genesis, you might be familiar with this person. But we're going to cover a little bit of his life today. Um, And yeah, I'm excited. Let's read this main... um, passage today. It's from Genesis 35, verse 16 to 18. Bit of a weird place to start, but we'll unpack it, I promise you. Then they, so this is Jacob and his family, moved on from Bethel. While they were still some distance from Ephrath, Rachel began to give birth and had great difficulty. So Rachel was one of Jacob's wives. So he had two wives If you're new to Christianity and the Word of God, it's a bit whack sometimes, so just a heads up there. But anyway, it's kind of a thing back then. Um, So she began to give birth and she had great difficulty. As she was having great difficulty in childbirth, the midwife said to her, don't despair for you have another son. As she breathed her last, for she was dying, she named her son Ben-Oni, but his father, Jacob, named him Benjamin. All right, let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for your word. God, we thank you that it is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. Thank you that you guide us. Thank you that you speak to us through your word, God. And we just pray that today we would have revelation from you. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So as I... um, was kind of meditating on and praying into this word unleashed, there was a word that had come to my mind, a prophetic word, um, saying that God is a God of more. And for us to have, I guess, a life that is unleashed, for us to be unleashed in our faith, then we actually got to necessarily believe that God is a God of more. Because why step out of your comfort zone? Why step out in faith? 
Why even seek God like we're going to do in the upper room if you don't believe that there is more in God? But the thing is, is that what God does is that he leaves us here after saving us because he wants to bring his kingdom here to earth. And so if we want to have an unleashed faith and an unleashed life in God, we have to necessarily believe that he is a God of more. And so every uh, year, Pastor Nate and I, we get to go um, away for a couple of days, actually, down to Mandra with a group of, who have become our friends now, but a group uh, from our network, a group of pastors called HarvestNet. And um, we have this time of fellowship. We often muck around and have so much fun together. But then kind of one of the evenings, it gets super deep and we start to pray for one another and prophesy over each other. And I love that Claire kind of covered what that meant. But basically having um, the gift of prophecy or being able to prophesy is basically hearing a word from God. We've got his word, his written word in the Bible. And it's so important that we read that because whenever we hear a prophetic word, that's kind of our guiding source. The word of God is our guiding source because that who that's the book that's going to tell us what God is like, what his voice is like. And so we're actually instructed to check these prophetic words that we get against who God is, right? And so prophetic word is kind of like a word that God gives you or gives to someone um, to act as a bit of an anchor. And what I found that these years of going away on this Harvest Net retreat and praying for one another is that these prophetic words have act as this guiding point where God has often confirmed what he's been wanting to say, what he's been wanting to do, it's confirmed in that gathering and it sort of just anchors me in a little bit. It refocuses me and resharpens my focus on what God wants to do. And so I want to encourage you, come Feb 4th, 4.30, be here because again, echoing what Claire said so beautifully, God wants to speak to you because he wants you to have a focus in your life. He wants to bring kingdom come and his will be done in and through you and receiving a prophetic word is an encouragement in that direction. Direction. Okay, so be here for that. It's going to be awesome. And you don't have to have any experience in that. Um, we're expecting people, you know, who uh, only recently met Jesus or haven't even met Jesus yet through to the mature Christian. You don't have to have any experience. We'll walk you through it um, and help you along. And we're just believing that every person who comes is going to be so, so blessed um, as this kind of harvest net gathering is a blessing to us. And so every year I go in with expectation and I'm like, I know God is going to speak. And the last few years, I've been really intentional actually re-listening to these words. And what I've found as I go throughout the years, because we've been doing this since 2015, would you believe? That was when we started this church. Um, and what I've found is that God um, has spoken and it's been so accurate through these people that every year I can actually track yeah, that word actually came to pass. That word actually happened. And so naturally, going into this Harvest Net retreat end of last year, I was really excited because already God had begun to stir me for more in our church. There was just like the shift that went on last year where God was going to do more. It was like everything we'd been sowing, every uh, you know bit of hard work we've been doing, every prayer, it was like it was about to be answered this year. And so I was going in with great expectation. Do you want to hear some of the words that were spoken over our church? Yes? Awesome. All right, so some of the words, some of my favorites, there were so many more, but 
what was prophesied was that we would see people go from brokenness to wholeness, that we would see people come from the things of the past that they were stuck in and really uh, uh, kind of desperate to get out of into a future in God. We, we heard things like people would go from being unruly to discipled and being more like Jesus, from being lost to found in Jesus Christ. We would see impossible, I love this one, see impossible breakthroughs happen through the ministry of our church and we would see multiplication of those impossible breakthroughs. And so maybe that's encouragement for you this morning. Maybe you've been facing something. I don't know what it is, but God is saying that impossible breakthroughs are, you know, like that's a little thing for him. He can do it. Amen. And we would serve families and we would see them become whole. And to nutshell all of this and all the many other words that we received, they encouraged us, well, not even encouraged, they instructed us believe that God is a God of more, that God is a God of more. I've even written it out and put it on my wall at home, put it on our wall, so every day I look out and I think, God, you are a God of more. What you've done in the past in this church, we are going to see even greater, and it's not even gonna be like the years that have gone past, but it's gonna be something new, something fresh. We're gonna see people saved. We're gonna see people set free in the name of Jesus. He is a God of more. And so I was really excited. Track record, these words come to pass. These pastors that were praying for us, totally trust them, trust them with my life. Like they're an incredible group of people. And I was really excited at these words. And yet there was part of me because of the disappointment in the past where the fruit and the outcome didn't look like what I thought it was meant to look like, where maybe God's timing was a lot longer, a lot longer than my timing. It's funny, in pastor circles, they have this running joke of like, we're all kind of 80, ADD, ADHD, I forget which one it is, but like we want God to do stuff now and we're already like 10 steps ahead, but thanks be to God that he is sovereign and he has his timing because we humans would just stuff it up, right? Um, And so, I was really excited, but there was these disappointments in the past. There was almost like God was saying, you've got to face up to those because I want to do something new and fresh. And that, that disappointment or whatever it was, it was like it had taken root in my soul. And I knew that God was going to do something externally different, but I knew that I couldn't stay the same internally. I knew that it actually required me to change. And at the beginning of this year, and as we go to Upper Room, you are going to hear from God. You are going to receive encouraging words about your future, about your destiny in Him, about the incredible things He wants to do in your life and in your family and in your community. But church, sometimes it's going to require a change in us. Sometimes it requires an uprooting of of lies and uprooting of disappointment that has gone so deep into our soul that it's become a part of our identity. Like it's, it's just really hard to shake and loosen from. But the good news today is that God can help us with that, that God is able to do that. And this is where we actually pick up this story in Jacob's life because what God does with Jacob is that he 
drastically transforms this man. And so we want to look through that a little bit more. But first, let's just go over that scripture again so we have it in our mind. So Genesis 35, 16 to 18 says, Then they moved on from Bethel. While there was still some distance from Ephrath, Rachel began to give birth and had great difficulty. And as she was having great difficulty in childbirth, the midwife said to her, Don't despair. For you have another son. As she breathed her last, for she was dying, she named her son Ben-Oni, but his father named him Benjamin. So again, a bit of a weird place to start off, and so let's see the background to this. You see, Jacob to this point has had quite a life, and Jacob himself, I think we're going to put the definition up there, but his name actually means supplanter, deceiver, and I kind of find this last bit comical, attack from the rear, Um, and that's because right from childbirth, so as his mother was giving birth to him, he had a twin brother, obviously in the womb with him, Um, but as he was being delivered, he was clutching the heel of his twin brother. Right from the beginning of his life, Jacob was this one who would contend on his own to get what he wants. He was this guy who went around deceiving people. He ends up deceiving his brother again, sort of like, so you have that womb incident. And then later on, he deceives his brother. He copies him and tries to become him, dresses up as him so that he can get a blessing from his dad. And then he goes and deceives his dad again. He cheats and and lies and there's deception there. And then he goes on and he actually begins to deceive his father-in-law. And who knows, that's just not that's not wise, right? You, you don't mess with your in-laws, right? Um, and so he goes on to do that and his life is characterised by this deceitfulness. He's a liar, he's a cheat, he goes after what he wants and he rips people off when he's doing that. And the thing is, is that he's so consumed, it's like it is a part of his identity that he's this deceitful person. He also begins to attract deceit into his life as well. It's like he can't run from it, right? This is what, it's almost like this is his lot in life. It's in his name. And what we need to know in this culture, in the Hebrew culture, is that names represented the destiny of a person, represented their character, represented the situation that they were born into. And so... I don't know why, like, I would not choose to name my child with that kind of definition, right? Uh, But he's given that name and maybe the parents saw some good in it. I don't know. I wish I was in their head at that point. Um, But he lives out that identity through and through, through and through. He lives it out. Until this time where he actually meets with God. So he's gone around deceiving people. He's actually becoming really prosperous with it. And then in Genesis chapter 28, we see Jacob have this profound uh, encounter with God. And basically God comes to him, right? I, I don't know about you, but if God were to come to you physically, it would be a little bit like humbling, right? To say the least, yeah? But God meets him face to face and God actually promises him this incredible promise. So he says that you are going to increase in number. You're going to have many descendants. You are going to have this land that I'm meeting with you on. And in those days, that was everything. That meant prosperity at the highest level. You know, today could be like having a mansion and a great car and whatever else. I don't know. 
that, that stuff doesn't really appeal to me. But, you know, fill in the gap for yourself. Whatever it is that you think prosperity would look like, that's what it was, to have many descendants and to have land. And the more incredible thing was that God said that through you, the whole world would be blessed. I don't know about you, but that's kind of a bit nuts, right? Like, I, I, I want to live a great life for God, but I don't think the whole world is going to be blessed through me um, in particular. But for Jacob, that was true because that particular part of the promise actually led to the person of Jesus. That Jesus was that descendant that would bring blessing to the whole world, that message of salvation, that good news, that grace. That was actually prophesying about Jesus and the work that Jesus would do. So it's an incredible promise. I don't think Jacob knew about the Jesus part at that point, um, but still such an incredible promise, right? If God came to me and promised like my heart's desires and that you would have such a great impact in this world, I'd be like, yes, sir, I'm, I'm all in. Whatever you want me to do, right, I will do it. But the funny thing about Jacob is that he's kind of not all in. He's actually a little bit distrusting of God in this point. And I wonder whether it's because he, him as a deceiver, as, you know, that's who he is, he knows what it is to trick people. He knows what it is to deceive people. And so I wonder in that moment where he's like, yeah, how do I know that I can trust you? How do I know that you're not actually tricking me, you know, this time? The roles are reversed. And so Jacob, instead of saying, yes, sir, maybe passing out because he's in God's presence, none of that, he says, okay, God, I'll make a deal with you, right? He wants to bargain with God. But we can just see that's his identity at play here. So he bargains with God and he says, look, I will follow you. You will be my God. I will believe in that promise if you do A, B, and C for me. And so he has this incredible encounter with God, kind of not shelves it, but moves on from there. He continues to deceive people. You'd think having a promise from God like that, you'd sort of clean up your act a little bit, right? You'd want to change. You'd want to bring your faith, bring your trust in God in alignment with that promise. But no, he continues to deceive. He continues to cheat and lie people, and it gets pretty bad. But the thing is, is that even though he's on the run, he's actually growing really prosperous. And so I think he's starting to see, hey, look, this promise is actually being fulfilled. I'm having, my family's growing. I'm having all of this happen. And um, he's actually, you know, that promise is being fulfilled. But the interesting thing is that this tragedy hits in the light of this promise, right? In Genesis 35, we see this tragedy of Rachel, his wife, and the Bible says his favorite wife, how funny is that, um, that she is the one that passes away. And you would think that for a guy who has a problem with trust, a guy who is a liar and a cheater in his identity at the very core of who he is, that he would be thrown off at this point. If the promise was that you would, well, part of the promise was that you'd have many descendants and then your wife, someone who would bear children for you, passes away, you'd think, okay, that jeopardizes this promise, right? Don't know about you, but maybe you've been facing that. Maybe you've had something promised and then something happens where you're like, oh, I, I don't think I heard right maybe, or, or like, God, can I actually really trust you? But the thing is with Jacob in this situation, we don't see him continue to distrust God. We actually see him put his full faith in God. And we know that because he changes the name of his son. You see, in Hebrew language, Ben-Oni actually means son of my trouble. 
And again, if we think about that fun fact about how kids were named after the situation that they came into the world, Rachel was actually naming their son very appropriately, even though it was a little bit discouraging, right? She was having trouble. She dies. She loses her life by giving birth to this child. And so son of my trouble, totally appropriate, totally accurate. And, you know, with my modern day kind of filter and lens, I was reading, when I first read this story, I was like, how dare Jacob, like, disrespect his wife and dishonour her? You know, in our society today, it's such a big thing to honour people's dying wishes. And so I thought, why would he not keep that name? But the thing is, is that Jacob had been transformed. He chose to change that name so that whenever he looks at his son, Benjamin, he doesn't see son of my trouble, son of, you know, jeopardizing this promise, son of, can I really trust God? Instead, he changes it to Benjamin because Benjamin means son of my right hand. And in Hebrew language, that symbolizes son of my strength. And so what Uh, what Jacob was doing was that he was actually prophesying over Benjamin and he was saying, no longer will I look at you and see how my wife died and how this promise is going to die, but actually I'm choosing to look at you and see that God is trustworthy, that God's promise still stands. And I don't know about you, but sometimes we are going to face and, and you've probably already faced because I have two situations where we've got to actually call it differently, where yes, With our eyes, we can see that something is not going well, that it looks like the promise is jeopardized, that what God has spoken, it looks like it's not going to happen. But sometimes we need to look at it with our eyes of faith and do a Jacob and say, actually, no, I'm going to believe God that in the midst of this tragic situation, I'm going to believe that your promise still stands because you are a faithful God and no word of yours returns void, but it accomplishes everything it is sent forward for. And so Jacob goes from this deceiver, this liar, this person who, and I did a quick Google because, so right now our four-year-old is learning to lie. It's the weirdest thing. I'm like, what's happened to you? But it's all part of development. Anyway, doing some Googling. And so what I found out was that um, when you deceive other people, it's because you have been deceived. And so Jacob goes from this place of deceiving others, but also him being deceived himself. It has become a part of his identity. But then we actually see him in this circumstance, chapters later, how many chapters later? Five, six, seven chapters later, that he's actually come to a place where he's a completely different man, where his identity is no longer deceived and liar and cheater, but he's actually believing in the promises of God. And as I was reading these two passages, I was like, God, how can it be? How, what happened to this man, right? And we see in Genesis 32 that Jacob, in fact, is transformed. He has another profound encounter. Man, well, what I'd give to be Jacob, hey, like he meets with God face to face and it's incredible. But he has this profound encounter with God and literally when you study this passage that we're going to go into, the, the main takeaway is that God transforms him in this particular part. So let's read it. Genesis 32, 22 to 28 says, that night Jacob got up and took his two wives, again weird, his two female servants and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone And a man wrestled with him till daybreak. 
If you like WrestleMania, this is for you. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. I love it, the tenacity of this man. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. So we remember that names mean something, right? And so God, in changing Jacob's name in this situation, is saying, I'm giving you a new identity. I'm actually rewriting your story. I'm making you completely new. And I believe it's because Jacob had gotten to this part where he had gotten so far on his own as Jacob, deceiving people, cheating people. But I feel like this picture of this wrestle is this point where God's like, uh-uh, no more. You actually need to go from you contending for the promise and you fighting every person and every inch to gain that promise to something else. And I don't know if we've got the next slide there, but the name Israel means may God contend. And so what God was doing in this encounter with Jacob is that he was shifting the emphasis. He was saying, no longer will you need to do it. And obviously Jacob's MO was through cheating and lying and deceitfulness. But he was saying, I'm going to do it. May God contend for you. May God contend for the promise that I've spoken over you and your descendants and for the blessing of the whole world. This is something I am going to do. And so he changes Jacob's destiny. He changes his identity. And church, there's a wrestle that God calls every single one of us into, that when we're faced with promises of the future, the potential that we have in God, it's like something in us needs to shift. Just like how I received those words end of last year, I knew that that disappointment, that, that part that had taken root in my identity and who at the core of me, it needed to shift. And I'm here today to say, get ready for change. And I love this picture of wrestle because let's face it, that's what it feels like. Wrestling is uncomfortable, right? That, that's the picture of what it is. It's grappling to win, to overpower. And I think sometimes when we are faced with who we are and, and sometimes our sinfulness and the imperfection and the way that we've always done things that, yeah, maybe it could be that we cheat and we steal and, and that's kind of how we've lived life and we don't know another way that it is a wrestle to change. It is a wrestle to get out of old habits. It is a wrestle to change our character and and allow Holy Spirit to to bear the fruit. Man, when I first became a mum, the fruit of the Spirit, patience, oh my gosh, that was my wrestle. And it took like nine months, nine to 12 months of hardcore wrestling. I was like scrummaging with God on the wrestle mats. It was all consuming. And sometimes the wrestle feels like day to day, moment to moment, straining to be someone better, to be someone who God's called us to be, to be someone who bears the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Oh my gosh, (laughs) self-control. That's the one that's hit me hardest in my whole life, self-control. It feels like going in the ring with God to change. Change is so hard for human beings. I love what Pastor Nate spoke to us on Thursday night for our heavy lifters, our volunteers gathering. Change is hard, people, but it's in the change, 
It's in the wrestle that we change. It's in the wrestle that God actually transforms who we are. So I have good news for you. If you've been wrestling with something that is as core to you as your identity, God can change that. God can uproot that. He can transform you. He can give you a new name, not like really a new name. I will always continue to be Beck, Rebecca, probably for the rest of my life. But thanks be to God, I'm becoming a new creation because I'm willing to enter in the wrestle. I'm willing to, to work at it, right, with God. And so I think it's meant to be a wrestle. I love this picture of wrestle because it is hard. And God's saying, I'm not pretending this is easy. It is hard. But I think this picture, picture of wrestle from Jacob's perspective is also this picture of us facing who we are. I think in this wrestle, Jacob actually had to confront the fact that he had become a deceiver, that it was no longer just you know, the fault of his parents for calling him that, but actually by his own admission, by his own actions and behavior, by his own choices, he was a deceiver. He was a cheat and a liar. And I think this picture of a wrestle was him actually confronting who he had become. And that's part of the change. That's part of the difficulty. Some of us, I think, get too busy and we sort of just read our Bible, we sing some worship songs and we think, okay, God, through osmosis, you can kind of change me. Like, don't bring me into the details of it too much. Just kind of do a work, Lord, do a work in me. In saying that, I'm believing that after the word that God's going to do a work and I'd love to pray with you. But it takes us actually confronting the truth about who we are and what we do in our sinful behaviours and our actions that hurt other people, that dishonour God, that we know there's actually better for us. But God, I've chosen to settle for this. It's confronting that. And then I love this picture where the angel of the Lord, it's like he's entertaining Jacob a little bit. He's like, yeah, we'll wrestle. We'll do that. And it talks about how Jacob was not going to let go. And then God just goes on his hip, (laughs) wrenches it, gets it out of joint so that it says after this, that particular scripture, that he continues to walk with a limp. I think this is a picture of God humbling Jacob, that because he didn't want to let go, Jacob wanted what God promised. He entered into the wrestle, right? But he was not letting go. And so God had to humble him. Because the thing is, is that when we wrestle with God, we don't win. Just disclaimer, secret, we don't win. God is the one that wins, right? He's the one that has his way. And so this picture to me is that God had to humble Jacob because Jacob wasn't going to concede. I think Jacob was facing who he was and was kind of grappling with that. And, and maybe there was a potential that he'd walk away from this that I can continue to be a deceiver and see the promise of God fulfilled. I'd already started to see the fruit. I'd already started to see I've got 11 sons. Look at me. It's already coming to pass. But for God, it was like, no, you actually need to change. And so we have opportunities in life where we can humble ourselves, where we can come to God and say, God, I know I need you. I might not always feel it, I might actually be proud at heart, but God, I know I need you. Because then the alternative is that God wrenches our hips and gives us a limp and he humbles us, right? And so this morning, what I wanted to actually give us an opportunity to do is to actually do that. Humble ourselves before God and say, God, I'm wrestling with this. It's so deep uh, in the core of who I am. It's a part of my identity and I can't seem to shake this. And so God, I need you to move. 
I just sense God saying we need to come to terms sometimes with who we are in the light of our perfect, incredible, loving God. And so we're going to get an opportunity to do that shortly. But if I can invite the band up to help us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. So the Old Testament, Jacob's story, we can look at that and say, yep, that's what God did then. But actually in the New Testament, in 2 Corinthians, we see that God wants to do that now. That God wants to make us a new creation and he does it through the work of his son. See, if you don't know Jesus in this place, what he did was that he took on your sin when he died on the cross. He took that on so that he could kill sin, essentially, in our bodies, in our world. And then he rose again from the grave so that we could, instead of dying, that we could have life and life to the full, life for all eternity. And so if you're here this morning and you don't know that Jesus, you don't know God as your Saviour and as your Lord, then I'd love to pray with you after the gathering to reconcile you with God, to, to meet you, uh, to have you meet God. I would love that privilege this morning because the thing is, is that when we enter into a relationship with Jesus, the process from that is called sanctification. And that essentially means that God washes us clean through our communion with God. Another amazing reason why we have church, why we have upper room, is that we're here to commune with God. We're here to have Him wash us clean, to change our identity, to, to scrub off all the ma and all the dirt and the things that actually cover up who we really are in God. And this morning, I'd love to pray with you if you want to receive Jesus into your life. But I just sense that there's another group of people that God really wants to minister to this morning. And that's people who are struggling with something in their identity. You know, in particular, I felt God put on my heart that if you... And what do we even mean when we say identity? It's those I statements when you fail, when you fall short when you hurt someone, when you do something wrong, what is that I statement that you say? Oh, I'm a failure. Oh, I'm abandoned. I'm alone. I'm a sinner. There's no forgiveness for me. What is that I statement that you have? Because if you have that on repeat, whenever you fail, whenever you stuff up, God wants to give you a new I statement. He wants to tell you that you are forgiven so that you can stand in his presence and say confidently, actually, I am forgiven. I am loved. I've been redeemed. I'm a new creation in Christ. I've been washed clean. God doesn't see my track record, but he sees me through the light of Jesus who's dealt with my sin, who's dealt with my past and has given me a new future. That's the I statement that God wants to give you today. And so church, I want you to be upstanding in this moment and begin to just open your heart to God. You know, sometimes what we do in worship is that we put our hands out like this just to say, God, I'm open for business. God, I want to do, I want you to do whatever it is you want to do. Sometimes we place our hand on our heart just to say, God, welcome. You are so welcome in this place. And this morning, as we begin to kind of think about what could be that thing in our identity that's taken root, that doesn't belong there, I, I want to read some scriptures over you just to create that comparison so that you know that, yep, that lie, that untruth about you and your identity, that that's not true for you, but there are promises of God. There are other truths for you in your life. 
Some of you may believe that you are a sinner and that there's no forgiveness for you, but God promises to forgive your sin. In 1 John 1, 9, he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Some of you believe that you are alone and you will always be alone, but God promises to never forsake you. He says, keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? He hasn't forsaken you, church. Some of you believe that God doesn't pay any attention to you, that even if you cry aloud, that He would not even pay attention to you in your most desperate moments. But God promises to hear your prayers in 1 John 5. Some of you believe that you have been abandoned to fend for yourself that you are alone on this earth and no one is here to help you, but God promises to meet all your needs in Matthew chapter 6. And for some of you, you've had a string of bad for years and years and you think that it's you. Just like how Jacob begun to attract deceit, you think that you are bad and you are rotten at your core. But God says that is not who you are. God says, I'm working all things for your good because you are my beloved child. You are a son. You are a daughter. I will work all things for your good. You are not used goods. You are not dirty. You are clean because of what my son has done for you. I have made a way. So church, there are promises that God has for you. There are incredible purposes that He has for you. And I know February 4th, some of you are going to hear about those things. But today I sense God wanting to do business with some of, some of you. You know in your core that, for, that some of these truths you don't believe. That instead you think you're a failure. You think you're forgotten. You think you are abandoned. You think you are alone. But God's here to say today, you have a new identity through Jesus Christ. You are my son. You are my daughter. You are loved. You couldn't earn it and you don't deserve it. But I love you. And that makes all the difference. You see, church, I love that our church is so strong on discipleship and having those relationships because I believe it's through discipleship that we are sanctified. We are made more like Jesus. But I had an incredible encounter with God towards the end of last year where I had one of my pastors pray for me. He laid hands on me and something was healed in my identity. Something was healed in my core and I, I can't even put words to it and what it was, but I know I was different after that. I know that I walked differently. I knew that I believed things about myself differently. I had a greater confidence in who God had called me to be. He set me free in that moment. And, and the Bible says, freely receive, freely give. And so this morning, I would love to just pray for any person who wants to receive that, who knows I need to change. There's something in me that I just can't deal with on my own. But in a moment, God can. God can heal you the deepest parts of your heart, He actually sees. No other human being knows you how God knows you. And so church, our beautiful band, they're gonna sing over you. And I wanna encourage you to worship, begin to lift your focus to God and start to see Him as the God of more in your life. Start to recall to memory those plans and those purposes that He's given for your life. And as you 
need to respond, I want to encourage you, come to the front. I'd love to pray with you. If you want prayer for your identity, if you want to meet Jesus and pray to meet Him, then come to the front. This is your moment and I'll meet you there and some of our prayer team as well. God bless you, church. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. Follow us on Instagram at The Live Church or on Facebook at Live Church Perth. That will give you all the up-to-date information about what's happening in the life of our church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.